This podcast series is brought to you by Net Zero, a food upcycler providing technology to feed the world better food with less resources. Doing their part to reduce, recover, and reharvest food waste. You can find out more at netzro.us. And by the Upcycled Food Association, building a food system in which all food reaches its highest and best use. To learn more about becoming a member or to support the UFA by making a charitable donation, visit upcycledfood.org. There's a lot to be learned from taking unconventional paths. And I think every unconventional path that I've taken in my life has led me to a new adventure that's informed my future work. Too good to waste. Too good to waste. Way too good to waste. Too good to waste. Absolutely. Hi, and welcome to the podcast series, Too Good to Waste. I'm your host, Kevin May, and together we're going on an adventure to explore some of the fun and creative and innovative ways that lots of people are doing their part to help find a higher value in unused food and food byproducts that might otherwise be wasted. So thanks for joining me. Let's go see if we can find out about some of these things that are too good to waste. Happy spring. Here we are into the month of May, and depending on where you are, you might see spring in full bloom, or actually we have moved down to Atlanta temporarily for the next couple of episodes. And here, man, we've launched right into summer. It's been in the high 80s, and all of the uh, plants, the trees are all basically fully out. So it's quite a change from Minnesota where we were on our last episode. But depending on where you are, hopefully you're enjoying some good weather and able to get out even when you're social distancing uh, or sheltering in place, um, one of the things that we've enjoyed a lot was the ability to get out. And we're seeing a lot more gardens, people out gardening, planting trees, planting different things in their gardens, in their yards, which is exciting. So with that in mind, one of the things that I was excited about was to learn about food in different countries and what are some of the similarities, what are some of the differences. And I've traveled a lot, and so has my guest today. And so we're going to get some neat perspectives on some of the things that are done in other countries and how they might compare to what we're doing here. We're also going to talk about upcycling, of course, and travel and just a lot of fun stuff. So without further ado, uh, it's my pleasure to uh, introduce my guest today, Caroline Cotto. Caroline's the chief operating officer of Renewal Mill, which is an innovative upcycled ingredient company. She's also the board president of the Upcycled Food Association, and she has literally traveled around the world working and volunteering in many different capacities. One of her big interests is in using her entrepreneurial approach and her community building, along with her program management experience and operational skills, to help revolutionize the global food system. Caroline, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So happy to be here. Well, thank you for making the time. And the first thing I have to ask you, uh, because I saw it on your website, is this big, bold statement. I'm not afraid to take the road less traveled. In fact, I crave it. And I also saw the line on your bio somewhere. I eat adventure for breakfast. I've got to ask you, tell me a little bit about where this sense of adventure came from and, and, you know, what's driving you with that spirit? Yeah, I feel... Like I've been really blessed in my life to have the opportunity to to take advantage of a lot of risks um, 
but I, I just feel like I'm always learning and being my best self when I'm pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. Um, and that's a spirit that my, you know, is ingrained in me pretty early on um, with my, my family being really um, pushing me to kind of do my best, but to take, to take risks. Um, I have a, an aunt who's very close to me who um, spent most of her 20s like in China um, when that was not really something that people did. And um, she kind of just showed me that there's a lot to be learned from, from taking unconventional paths. And I think every unconventional path that I've taken in my life has led me to a new adventure that's informed my future work. Um, and so I think any experience where you are, you know, trying something new, well, you'll gain valuable things that you can bring on to the next one. Yeah, I think that's always so cool when you have somebody in your life, whether it's an aunt or an uncle or a parent or any kind of a role model. I know I had a few of those in my life as well, and I'm so grateful for what they inspired me to do. So as a child growing up, did you travel a lot? And if so, what was kind of the first big adventure that you remember? So my parents actually met as flight attendants. So they uh, grew up, or I grew up um, flying a lot. Um, they would take us on trips with them quite often. So um, I was flying before I was born. And then we made a point to, to travel quite often, um, both within the US and internationally as I was growing up. And then my first solo trip abroad um, was really when I decided to study abroad in China during college. And I was uh, the first, the only beginning level Chinese student um, on, on that study abroad trip. I had never taken a single class in Chinese um, and kind of just had to, to sink or swim, but really, really learned so much about people in the world through that experience. So I'm just curious with all of your world travels, and I know you're very passionate about food, where did that passion for food come from? Was that through your traveling or did it start at a much younger age at home, for instance? Yeah, uh, food is has been my passion for as long as I can remember. I think my, my earliest childhood memory is, you know, baking in my kitchen as, as a, a child and just, you know, really being fascinated with experimenting with how do you mix flour and sugar and create something. I grew up in the food industry. My parents own an ice cream store named after me. And I, I like to joke that everything in my life revolves around food. My last name, Cotto, means cooked in Italian. And I grew up in a town called Sandwich, Massachusetts. So it's really been a lifelong passion for me. When I went to Georgetown for undergrad, I really wanted to explore food from the nutrition and health angle because I knew that um, nutrition was such an important part of overall well-being. And so I spent a lot of time exploring child obesity and malnutrition in my early career. And then kind of having these opportunities to travel abroad, chose places with really rich and unique food cultures like China and Taiwan and Cambodia, and just saw how much of that culture is communicated through food and also how much culture has an impact on the foods you choose to eat, which ultimately affects health. So I've always loved to eat. It's the way that I love to experience traveling and culture. But I think it, it really came to a head of 
intersection when I was working abroad. Yeah. And what's your experience as far as how people in other countries relate to food as compared to how we relate to food here in the United States? Have you noticed any significant differences, whether it's been Asia or Italy or any place else that you've been that struck you as a particular difference? Definitely. I think especially in Chinese culture, food is so communal. Here in America, the trends are are very much towards individualized eating, on-the-go eating, snacking, convenience foods. In China and Taiwan, when I was there especially, there's a lot of emphasis on the the sort of family-style dinner where everybody sits around a big communal table and all the dishes are shared and just spending more time. um, I think it's a sign of respect to leave a little bit of food on your plate in China because it shows that the host has made you full. Here in the US, the opposite is true where it's like you must finish everything on your plate in order to to show that sort of respect. So those differences for sure. And then when I was living and working in Italy, there's just so much care put into every every piece of food, every dish that's created. And it's really treated as an art form, whether or not it's the the locally made sausage that you're eating or this handcrafted cheese that only comes from one particular region. Um, But there's just a pride in the food uh, in that culture that I think doesn't necessarily exist in American culture or hasn't for, for quite some time. And I think Upcycled Food and our work is really trying to to bring that back to the forefront and talk about how we can, you know, really appreciate locally grown, sustainably sourced, um, really good food. Yeah, I completely agree. And what comes to my mind, like you said, is, you know, the beauty of the artistry and the artisan bakers and, you know, chefs over there and locally sourced produce that they're getting every day at the markets and putting it into what they're creating. So what's your thought about what's going on here in the U.S. with kind of this resurgence of the artisan bakers and crafts maker, you know, makers essentially? And do you think that's going to expand? And are you seeing that in your community as well as others in your travels? Definitely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of these online marketplaces that have been popping up of kind of taking the farmer's market more national and shedding light on small producers, people wanting to to really invest money and time and interest into these sort of craft hobbies. I think you see it with things like craft breweries and all of the sort of small specialty like cheese makers that have popped up over the years. And it's, it seems to be quite regional, like people are really dedicated to the folks producing things in their area, which is, is awesome. I also think it's been accelerated by COVID-19 with everybody and their brother now becoming a, a sourdough bread maker. There's sort of this renewed interest in food and high quality, locally sourced homemade food. Yeah. And we should probably acknowledge um, because somebody may be listening to this a year from now or five years from now that that is what's going on right now to kind of mark this point in time. It is, uh, let's see, where are we? We're early May of 2020 and this COVID-19 crisis is very much uh, Um, in motion right now. So that is definitely having an impact. And we'll learn more about how that's impacting Renewal Mill. And then, like you said, the food system in general is being uh, impacted. I've been seeing on television every single day, there isn't a day you can't turn the news on without some story about the food supply chain being disrupted and, you know, this hoarding or this scarcity thing. And so my hope is just what you said, too, is that people are becoming more appreciative and aware of the, the food systems, the low 
local food suppliers, the local food, the makers and all in that area. Um, so what's it like? You're in Oakland, California, right? I am. Yeah. What's it like out there? What's your experience been just with this COVID-19 thing as far as the food uh, accessibility? And have you been running into any of that in the stores out there, too, with uh, just the shelves being empty and uh, things like that? Yeah, definitely. I think over the past month, it's every time you go to the grocery store, you see they're out of essentials like flour and um, pasta and canned tomatoes and rice. Um, Definitely, you know, barren shelves for sure. We've been lucky in that there has been a little bit of white space for people to, to take advantage of new and alternative flowers like ours during this time, because if there's nothing else available, they're maybe willing to take a chance and see that actually it is something that they didn't know they wanted, but now really enjoy. So that's been exciting. So let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me about Renewal Mill and you mentioned flour. So uh, tell me a little bit about the company in general and then what are some of the products that you are making and that you have available? So Renewal Mill is what we call a next generation ingredients company. We're reducing food loss and fighting climate change by taking the byproducts of food manufacturing and upcycling them into premium ingredients and finished goods. So we started with our first ingredient, which is called okara. It comes from the soybean pulp left over when you make soy milk. So we partner with um, soy milk and tofu producers in order to take that okara and dehydrate it and mill it into a high fiber, high protein, gluten-free flour. And then we have a split business model. So we are selling that ingredient as a raw input, business to business to other food producers. And we're using some of the ingredients in our own line of consumer packaged good products. So right now we sell a vegan soft baked chocolate chip okara cookie, a gluten-free vegan brownie mix, and a one-to-one gluten-free baking flour that you can use cup for cup in your favorite recipe. So you said it, and I just want to reiterate it. The the Okara flour that you all produce is gluten-free and vegan? Yep. Yeah. All We're a plant-based company, so all of our products are vegan. And the only product that's not gluten-free right now is the chocolate chip cookie, but all of our other flour-based and baking mix products are gluten-free. Tell me a little bit about the brownies. What, uh, what's been the response to those? And that's a brownie mix. Is that correct? It is. Yes. So it's a just add water and oil brownie mix. We're, we're really excited about it. It was supposed to launch at the largest trade show of the year, Expo West, but, um, the universe had different plans. So we launched it online and it's, It's a completely vegan, gluten-free mix that features not only the okara, but also two additional upcycled ingredients. So we're using upcycled pea starch and upcycled vanilla bean in that product as well. And it requires only one bowl, super easy to make, and it can be ready in under an hour. So we really saw an opportunity in the kind of stale baking mix category to bring some new life and bring a product that really aligns with consumer demand right now for more clean label, plant-based, health-forward baking products. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a terrific idea. I know a lot of people who are, you know, strictly on a plant-based diet and finding something like that is something that would just bring a big smile to them <laughs> and uh, especially on a brownie side of things. So that's great that you got that out. And then we were talking about COVID-19 and how that's impacted a lot of businesses right now and the food supply chain. Tell me a little bit about the direct impact that that's had on Renewal Mill and how 
how have you all pivoted a little bit? Are you how are you adjusting to what's going on with your business model right now? Yeah, for sure. First of all, I would say we're really grateful to have been considered an essential business during this time just because we know so many other people have been affected or their productions halted. Um, prior to COVID-19, a large majority of our revenue was coming from the food service channel. So we were selling a lot of our cookies as office snacks to um, big office snack distributors and, and companies here in the Bay Area. But obviously with the closure of offices, that has come to a stop. So over the last six weeks, we've had to kind of pivot our business to be more e-commerce and online grocery um, and only selling our flour SKUs because our cookie manufacturer, co-packer, was affected by COVID. So yeah, it's been really interesting to, to make that pivot. But as I kind of alluded to earlier, we're, we're also in this exciting time when people are at home spending more time baking for their family. And so it's really a great way to sort of introduce upcycled ingredients to people who are baking right now and, and hoping to um, create long-term upcycled bakers and people who are willing to be loyal to these brands longer term. Well, that's great. And I wish you all the very best with uh, everything that's going on. And, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we talked about at the very beginning too, possible silver lining to all of this is people's um, interest in baking. People are sheltering in place. They're doing more. They're getting creative. Um, have, what, have you received any uh, like personal testimonials or feedback from some people that have tried this because they've been sheltering in place? And like you said, they were willing to take some chances and try something new and what kind of feedback are you getting? We're getting a lot of positive feedback, both on the, the brownie mix, which is kind of a great way to cook with your kids. Um, a lot of, like Claire, my co-founder, has uh, a one-year-old and a, she's still doing in place with a, a two-year-old, her nephew. So they've been, they've been doing a lot of um, baking in their kitchen, but we've gotten a lot of feedback from similar groups of people and parents that are cooking for their families or cooking for children, and it's a great way to get them in the kitchen. And then on the pure okara flour side and the one-to-one -one baking flour we're seeing folks get really creative we actually got a message yesterday from someone who was making a okara cheesecake in their rice cooker so lots of lots of options and um, lots of people willing to to try out new things do you all uh, feature any of those on any of your social media sites as far as some of these these recipes or things that people are do, using the flour for we do i'll have to get that recipe from that customer specifically but we do have a lot of recipes and new ways that people are using it up on the on our social media well that sounds great i definitely want to check some of those out and i'm sure other people will want to check that out and also follow you so if they're looking for you on social media where can they find you right now we're on instagram facebook linkedin um, Twitter, all at Renewal Mill. All right. Well, there you go. So find them on social media. By all means, follow them and check out some of the recipes, some of the things that are going on. I, I got to tell you, I'm just kind of fascinated with this concept of a uh, cheesecake made in a rice cooker. Was Did you say that was made with okara flour as well? Yeah, it's... um. Okara is actually a traditional East Asian ingredient that's been used for centuries, like specifically in countries like Japan. Um, if you made soy milk at home, you would never throw away the okara, you would, you would use it. So this particular customer is um, of Japanese descent and had uh, some long-term family recipes from, for using okara and had been having some trouble finding it in the U.S. and was really delighted to find okara here in, 
and innovate with it. Yeah, I love that story that they were able to find the Okara flower here and do something creative with it and that you all are producing it and got the feedback on how people are using it and getting creative with it. And speaking of being creative, how about you? Have you had a chance to bake anything interesting lately? Yeah, definitely. Um, I have been into sort of healthy baking as well. So using a lot of Okara in um, muffins and, and sweetbreads like banana bread. I think me and the rest of the country are, are on a banana bread, kick, but it's great for that. Um, and then experimenting with different like vegan meat analogs as well. Um, I personally eat plant-based, so it's been fun to try it out in a different uh, a number of different like burger formats. How does that work? I'm, I'm real curious about that. I've actually been a, a vegetarian my whole life. And um, there's all, as you mentioned, any number of different types of meat substitute type products. But what have you been finding with what you're creating or what other people have been doing with this for meat substitutes? I think a lot of the meat substitutes, um, while they have a lot of protein, are often lacking fiber. And so it's a great way using Okara to sort of add back in some of the fiber that's been processed out of some of the other soy-based products. So I think that's one application that we found for sure, but it's, it's a really nutritious way to get that fiber and calcium back into the products and maintain a neutral taste and good texture. So it sounds like in addition to being good for the environment and reducing food waste, the high nutritional content is also a really strong benefit to these upcycled ingredients. Yeah, definitely. I think when we started Renewal Mill, the idea was not only to reduce food waste, but also to keep more affordable nutrition in the supply chain. Um, so much of our food system is just arbitrarily processing out things like potato skins and um, all of the most nutritious, fibrous parts of these products that is really what the American diet is lacking. I think we, we've been led to believe by marketing that what Americans really need is protein when in reality, what we actually need is more fiber in our diet. And there's some crazy statistics that if every American was to add a single gram of fiber to their diet every day, um, it could save the American healthcare system something like $12 billion a year. So I think one of the huge benefits of working with byproducts is that you're capturing 100% of the nutrition from that original input and making sure it gets back into the food system to feed people. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of mind-blowing when you think about truly so much of the, the byproduct that's generally thrown out has the highest nutrient content and and we just don't realize it until you and thank you for bringing that up I wanted to really uh, you know accentuate that point because it, like as you mentioned potato skins anything like that even peeling carrots and throwing the carrot peels away there is so much in that that we just don't get the benefit from. So I'm glad to see what you all are doing. Tell me a little bit about what else you have your site set on at Renewal Mill as far as what other products. Are you exclusively in Okara? Or are you looking at other things that you could use your processes on as well for upcycled ingredients? Definitely. Yeah, we're not just an Okara company. We're aiming to be a full upcycled ingredient company with a full portfolio of ingredients that are all derived from byproducts. So right now we're still going to be focused on the plant-based milk space. As the <laughs> popularity of plant-based milks grows, so too does the amount of byproduct. So 
we have seen um, a, a vast increase in the byproduct of production for things like oat milk. So that's actually going to be our second ingredient is, is taking the oat pulp left over from that process, which is very analogous to okara and okay. um, making that into a uh, high protein, high fiber flour. So as a flour made out of the upcycled oat milk byproduct, how does that compare? Is the process the same and is the nutritional content pretty much similar? Yeah, definitely. Um, it will still, still be a similar process of dehydrating and milling into a flour product. Um, obviously it has some different nutritional values. So the okara is a little bit more heavy on the fiber and a little less on the protein. And the oat is actually a little bit higher on protein and a little less on fiber. But when you pair them together, it actually makes a, a great blend as well. So yeah, we will definitely be staying in, in the flour space. Um, but flour is definitely a loose term. Like I said, we have folks using it in things that normally you wouldn't consider a flour-based product like plant-based meat or baby food. Right, right. So baby food, I, I saw something. Tell me about that. Did you, uh, have you all done something with baby food? I don't know. I'm trying to remember where I saw that. Yeah, we at Renewal Mall are really interested and focused on partnerships as a way to grow our brand. And so this past fall, we did a partnership with uh, an amazing little company called Square Baby. Mm -hmm. They were interested in doing early allergy introduction meals. So they're a um, direct-to-consumer baby meal company and they wanted a way to they knew the research that showed that um, early exposure to allergens can help reduce incidence in adulthood so they were looking for a way to introduce soy allergens um, and okara was a perfect fit for that because it's already gone through kill steps so you can eat it directly out of the bag and it mixes really well into purees and it has a very neutral flavor and color so they um, created with us a specialty flavor called peanut pumpkin pie that was going to introduce um, peanut and soy allergens. And then it was so successful as a, a limited menu item that it became a, a permanent item on their offering list. Wow. I'm loving what I'm hearing here. Like you said, cheesecake and a rice cooker and peanut pumpkin pie baby food, which is unbelievable. Yeah. I think that's a really exciting thing about Okara and, and upcycled products in general is that it's not one category. It's really category agnostic and um, if, with enough creativity, it can, it can be used in so many different applications. Tell me about the products. Like you said, you've gone to e-commerce. Um, where can people find some of your products right now? Primarily, like you said, the flour or the brownie mixes. Are those, I think I saw recently some announcements that you were getting picked up by some grocery chains perhaps, or what are, you know, if people across the country are interested in your flour, is that available? Are you shipping uh, across the country or where, where can we find it? We are. We're shipping nationally through our website renewalmill.com as well as Amazon and then um, we're in retail locations in the Bay Area and Southern California um, mostly small specialty markets but we're actually launching in Whole Foods Northern California region in June so we're excited about that and then um, we're on a number of different e-commerce platforms inc including like Billion Vegans and Vegan Essentials some plant-based specific ones um, as well as some more national ones uh, like Good Eggs and growing into other platforms like Mabel and Thrive Market. That's fantastic. Uh, it's really great that you're getting more and more traction in so many different arenas. And I was wondering with COVID-19, as you said, really driving more of your sales to online and e-commerce type B2C sales, 
Is that now something from an operational standpoint that you're going to focus more and more of your attention just on that? Um, we've always had a split business model with the idea that um, our B2C and CPG business is really our revenue generating marketing arm for our B2B ingredients business. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we, we want to be an ingredients company. Um, and that has not been that affected by COVID. So we're going to continue to, to sell B2B. I think what is going to be a lasting change is the channel shift for our CPG products. Um, we had so much of our business being funneled into food service and with an unclear deadline of when that will come back, I think we'll continue to shift towards e-commerce and um, retail grocery, both brick and mortar and online. Gotcha. That sounds great. Thanks for that clarification. And uh, really sounds like a great plan that you're working on both, as you say, in the online space in brick and mortar, and then also really continuing to develop the B2B side of the business. So I wanted to shift for just a second and move over to the Upcycled Food Association. I know that you're the board president, and I was just curious of how your experience with Renewal Mill and all of the other things that you've done kind of play a part in you stepping into that role with the UFA and what your vision is as the president? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, over a year ago at this point, Renewal Mill really saw the need for both consumer education, like a centralized resource to kind of tell people what is upcycled food? How can we kind of at point of sale educate consumers about upcycling? And also we've had so many benefits from being part of other food communities in the food space and learnings from other food companies. And we wanted to have that knowledge sharing happening amongst all of the upcycled food companies. So we started as kind of a Facebook group and then uh, we synced up with Turner and Ben uh, at UFA and decided to become one of the founding members of the Upcycled Food Association, which launched in October of 2019. And then I, it's, I mean, food waste is a very passionate, something I'm very passionate about and working with um, kind of helping define what upcycled means and sort of the marketing behind it is something I really wanted to have a direct hand in, which is why I decided to, to become the, the board president. But I think our larger vision is really to make upcycled as recognized, understood, and valuable as something like organic and, and not um, have any greenwashing happen, but really help consumers understand that by purchasing upcycled food, I am directly using my dollar to affect change for the environment and for my personal health in, in a positive way. Yeah, I, th I think what you just said is so important, and I love that you said it exactly like that, because there's so many elements to upcycling. And like you said, if you're passionate about reducing food waste, that's one. If you're passionate about getting better nutrition or you know having high nutritional content, that's another one. Um, environmental impact. That's another one. So uh, thank you for bringing that up too. Um, so is, and again, I know Turner had mentioned that you all are working on kind of, as you say, completely defining it. And I'm not, and I know that's in process right now, but if, if I were just to walk up to you on the street and say, Hey, what is upcycling? How would you describe it? What does it mean to you personally? Yeah, I think it's, Upcycling is different than recycling. So when you're recycling something, you have to break it down into its constituent parts and then find another use for it. With upcycling, we're really trying to show the value in what already is there and just elevate it to its highest use. So like I said before, the food system has so many points where 
there's just arbitrarily labeled product that's being you know funneled to animal feed or food waste when it instead it could be used to feed people so upcycling is really about mining the food system for where those that nutrition and that value is being lost and then finding ways to elevate it back into the the normal supply chain for human food um, so that it's, it's being used to its best value. Yeah. And I think that's such a great uh, distinction too, because I, I, I've talked to people too about it and sometimes they immediately get this idea that, oh, you're taking food waste out of the dumpsters and you're trying to make it back into food. And, and it's not exactly that. And so your, your definition and your distinction, I think is really important. It's finding the higher value in something. And as you say, maybe it's just being land applied or given to animals, but there is still nutritional value that we as humans, could benefit from. So how do we get that back into our system or keep it in our system? Um, so yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're trying to focus on with this podcast series. So I appreciate you kind of sharing your perspective on it as well. And I'm curious, as you run across people and you're explaining upcycling to them, have you ever run across some uh, interesting perceptions that you've then later been able to help educate? And how do you go about educating people? Yeah. I think I was being introduced for an event one time and the, the moderator offhandedly was like, oh, this is Caroline, the trash cookie lady. And, uh, and it's always kind of stuck with me because definitely that's not what we're trying to communicate at all. And I think it's, it's you know, not helpful to associate food waste um, with stuff that is not nutritious or not valuable or that is going somewhere else. Um, so right off the bat, we try to get rid of that notion um, and, and say, you know, if have you ever juiced something at home before? Mm -hmm. If you have, uh, you probably put a carrot into your juicer and came out with carrot juice and then some pulp and you might not have known what to do with it, but you still know that it came from a clean, healthy, whole carrot that you put into that juicer. Um, that's basically what we're doing, except for with soybeans. So when you take soybeans and you look to make soy milk out of them, you're essentially juicing those soybeans and you're only using about 40% of the mass of that product to, to make your final soy milk. And you're left with over 60% of it um, that's still a nutritious pulp. Um, so I think trying to, to really make it relatable to experiences that people have had in their own life um, of like, wow, yeah, I, I have made almond milk at home or I have made juice at home and didn't know what to do with that pulp leftover. And so I composted it. Well, we're trying to say, instead of composting it, maybe you could have baked it into muffins or made it into a soup or done something with it that would have gotten the full value out of it. Oh yeah. That, that is so perfect. I love the carrot example because it definitely reminds me that, yeah, I'd eat a whole carrot, but yet then I juice carrots and throw the pulp away or put it in the garden or whatever. But the reality is if I were eating it whole, I'd be eating all of that. So why wouldn't there be nutrients in it? It's the thing that keeps coming back to me is it's really a perspective and it's a, like we say, it's a way of looking at things. It's a way of understanding it and then just getting it into our normal mindset so that we can start shifting the way we see things and the way we do things. Yes, for sure. And I think that there's this misperception that upcycling is a new concept. It's not your grandma in the great depression was upcycling, um, finding ways and to use all of the food that you grow or purchase is 
not a new concept, but I think as we've become a more industrialized nation, it's just been the easy choice has been to just throw it away because we haven't had the creativity or frankly, the economic need to, to do something with it. And I think we're finally seeing through climate change that maybe it's not an economic need, but it's an environmental need that we need to, to, to do better and to use our creativity for good um, and kind of harken back to the days of grandma using all of the, the, the food that she's purchased or grown. Yeah, that's such a great reminder of the many different things that we can do with food and even our own food byproducts at home. So lots of great ideas. Thanks for sharing those. I wanted to take a little bit of a detour and go back to something we talked about at the very beginning of the show, which is your sense of adventure and your adventurous spirit. I was doing my research for this interview today and I happened to run across your personal website. Uh, is that something we can give out to everybody? Yeah. It's uh, carolinecotto.info. Got it. Yeah. So carolinecotto, C-O-T-T-O dot info. And one of the things that I actually came across on your website was that you're also a writer. Tell me a little bit about your writing. Yeah. So in a previous life before Renewal Mill, I actually ran the women's diversity program at a large tech company called HubSpot, um, really focused on giving women um, in workplace tools to improve career development, um, but also just educating um, from a diversity and inclusion perspective about why diverse teams perform better and how we can make those workspaces more inclusive. Um, that's also a passion of mine that has translated very well into the venture capital space and food space um, as a, a totally female company. We've definitely experienced some of the you know, lack of venture funding that goes towards female companies. And so, um, yeah, besides food, I, I write a lot about women and what my experience is like, um, both as a woman in business and previously a woman in tech. Yeah. And I saw those articles. That's why I wanted to, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's, that also, as you said, that's very much a part of who you are and what you're passionate about. And I want to, uh, let other people know about that so that they can go there. And those articles are great. And I encourage people to go to your website as well and check those out. It looks like they were in fast company where those, is that where those articles were originally published? Yeah, I've been lucky to, to have written for a number of publications, but Fast Company being one of them. Fantastic. Well, so with your big adventurous spirit and your your desire to travel the world and your, your experience traveling the world, what, I mean, I'm just curious, what's, what else would you love to do? What's kind of your big vision if you could do anything you wanted to? Um, obviously, you're you're working with Renewal Mill, which is fantastic, and I, and I love what you're doing there and with the Upcycled Food Association. What else is kind of something that you, or, or what would you your vision for you be? What's your next big adventure, so to speak? <laughs> I, you know, I think that a lot of what I believe is what I kind of, um, harken back to this like E.E. E. Cummings poem that I found early on and have kind of constantly returned to is there's a line in his poem that says, I'm like, once you believe in yourself to risk curiosity, um, you're kind of able to, to have all of these adventures and um, live life to the fullest. And for me, I try not to plan my life in more than year increments because I'm always trying to see like what letting my mind and self be open to um, risking curiosity and seeing what, what bubbles up to the surface. So I know that longer term, I want to focus on these like large scale problems related to the food system that are 
constantly being accelerated by things like climate change. Um, having worked firsthand in Cambodia and seen what malnutrition looks like before climate change was really affecting it, I think we have a lot more work to do in feeding vulnerable populations across the world. And that's something that continues to be important to me. But also here at home, I think, you know, I live in West Oakland. There's a very real food desert problem here as well. So I, I, I can't tell you exactly what my next adventure will be, but I think it will definitely be food related. And um, I look forward to seeing what this post COVID world bubbles up as far as new opportunities to, to kind of be curious and, and find creative ways to, to solve new problems. Yeah, I love your perspective on that. And I agree with you. I mean, I think, yes, as, as challenging as this is right now, I think there also will be opportunities. And no doubt you learned that through your world travels and being adaptable and kind of having to take things as they come and, and make the best out of them. So I guess one last question that I always like to ask is, of all the things we talked about, or even if we haven't talked about it today, if you could leave the listeners with just one takeaway, one thing that they could do to make a difference, what might that be? I think it's important to me that people um, think about their purchases and use their, their dollars in a responsible way. I know right now there's a lot of folks who are, are using their stimulus checks to, to donate to food banks, and that's something that I've done as well. But yeah, just think about the power behind your dollar and where that goes as far as affecting um, not only your own nutritional choices, but also the, the larger food system in, in general um, and how, how closely tied your individual purchase of, for example, plant-based products over uh, factory farmed meat can actually have a profound effect. And I think there's this misperception that like, oh, I'm just one person, what I do doesn't matter. Um, and that's just profoundly untrue. So I would hope that people kind of, you know, take, take the initiative to say, okay, my choices do matter. Yeah, that's that's a great reminder. What you're right, absolutely. What each one of us does does matter. And as you said, we all actually do have a lot more power than some of us realize. So fantastic words, wonderful interview. Thank you so much for your time. Anything else you would like to add that we haven't touched on, whether it's renewal mill related or upcycled food association or anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think I would just hope that people would um, listening to this podcast pass along the word. Um, I think upcycling has there is a small group of folks who know what it is but um if they if every person who listens to this podcast tells one new friend and they tell one new friend um we're we're creating that chain to chain communication and and helping spread the word about what we're trying to do to really reduce food waste at a global scale. I will do my best to uh, encourage that as well. And so just as we wrap this up, let's uh, give me all of your websites again, the Renewal Mill, your website, and then your social media just so we can find you. Yeah. So uh, uh, Renewal Mill is just at Renewal Mill on every social media platform. And our website is renewalmill.com. Uh, you can find me personally at carolinecotto.info or on Twitter at uh, Caroline E. Cotto. And I look forward to, to chatting with you guys there. Fantastic. Definitely follow Renewal Mill, follow Caroline. We will put all of the, uh, the social media links and the website links in the show notes. It'll be on Too Good to Waste podcast.com, episode number five with Caroline Cotto. Caroline, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, and I wish you all the best. 
Thanks so much. It was great chatting with you, Kevin. Well, that's a wrap on episode number five with Caroline Cotto. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Some really fun stuff we've learned about today, including some of the cool things that they're doing at Renewal Mill and some of uh, Caroline's personal adventures and her world perspectives. And of course, learning more and more about upcycling every day. I hope you found something valuable and interesting and educational in this particular episode. So I'm going to go check out Cheesecake in a Rice Cooker, and you can help us out by liking us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Five stars would be absolutely amazing. We would greatly appreciate that. And also sharing it with anybody you think might be interested in this topic. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. Give us a shout. You'll find us at too good to waste underscore podcast. Special thanks go out to Sue Marshall, a.k.a. my wife, for helping with the creative development on this podcast series, and to our production assistant, Amy Gilbert, who helps with writing, researching, and is our resident upcycled food baker. And of course, to our sponsors, Net Zero. You can find them at netzero.us and the Upcycled Food Association at upcycledfood.org. Too good to waste, absolutely.